0: This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello, and welcome to this
1: mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guests this week are Jane Rice, a civil servant, and Edward Seiki, a radiographer, and they both live in Edinburgh, Scotland. Here we are reading a letter from a listener. And I'm wondering if one of you would mind reading our
2: last letter. I would be delighted to, Danny. Subject is hormonal imbalance. My girlfriend and I have been in a relationship for a little over a year, and for the first six months or so, our needs for intimacy felt effortless. Recently, however, she has started antidepressants that have lowered her libido and I started taking a low dose of testosterone. It feels like our needs have gone in opposite directions. I'm interested in sex all the time and she is less interested than ever before. I know that this spike in sex drive is a relatively normal part of second puberty and will subside over time, but I'm worried about the long term. I'm happy getting myself off more often, but I'm struggling emotionally with the change in our relationship dynamic. I feel hurt when I initiate and she turns me down. I also struggle to not feel like a creep imposing on her boundaries when this happens. I'm loving almost everything else about tea, but this alone makes me feel unlike myself. I've brought up my feelings and she has reassured me about my worries. And yet I'm still hanging on to these feelings of sadness around lacking the level of intimacy I desire and shame what else can I do to navigate the situation? I'm not interested in opening the relationship and my girlfriend is trying her best with other forms of non-sexual touch. I feel like I need to get over these feelings, but I don't know how. Help.
1: Part of me wanted to be a scamp and just be like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry. This is t- Nobody Nobody has this problem. Like <laughs> that's, That sounds really bad. I think it's just you guys. Um, not because I wanted to dismiss it, but just because I wanted to, like, I guess reassure them that even in the midst of stuff fe- feeling bad, like this is like maybe one of the more classic uh, advice column types of letters and and they're absolutely um, not alone. But um, part of me does want to tackle this as if like, nope, never heard of this. Usually I hear (laughs) from people who say I just started tea and my partner just started antidepressants and now we're even more in sync than ever. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, letter writer. I'm not trying to laugh or make light of your predicament at, at all. So I will just stop doing that. Um, You know, Obviously, there's ways, and this is like some uh, elements are like particular to antidepressant treatment and particular to HRT. So we can certainly go into that detail. But it's also just true that as as the letter writer knows, lots of couples, you know, have a, a honeymoon period, which doesn't mean like the only time you'll have fun. And then after that, it's just like a joyless slog. Just like then eventually you get to know each other a little better. And you're like, okay, but we are actually two different people. And it's pretty unusual for two different people to have exactly the same desires at all time. Um, so there are also, I think, a lot of really universal um, elements here. My first thought was, I, I want to find a way to encourage both this letter writer and their partner to take what they've already done that I think is good and like add one step on top of it. So like, what I see here that's really good is like, letter writer, uh, you are aware of the sort of extenuating circumstances, you know on a sort of global level that it's not a rejection or a bad thing if your libidos are in two different places, that's good. Uh, And you're at that kind of like next problem, which is, okay, I know that, but this is still the first time in my life that I have found myself like asking my partner for more sex and hearing no more often. This is new to me and it feels bad. Um, And so that I think is like the question of how do you now start to live your life in a way that 's like i 'm not going to go back to a sex life where i 'm never the one petitioning for more and where I never get rejected like those days are over, um, not in the sense of like goodbye forever, welcome to new reality like you 're just always going to have to deal with five rejections a week, but you're still I think in that place of rejections are rare and shocking and and unusual. And I should be so good at reading my partner's mood that I just intuit when we want the same thing. Or like, it's okay for me to say a couple of times that I want to have sex. But beyond that, if we're not already unanimous, then I'm badgering and bad. And I think that's the next place to kind of like have a bit of a breakthrough about. Does that strike you as like at all in line with what you were thinking, do you have other thoughts of of what you'd want to encourage them to do? Any questions that you wish you could ask them as a follow up?
3: I think the only thing i I find this a bit tricky because yeah, it is something I've heard before, but in terms of you know advice or things I could say i didn't there was a lot I didn't really know, but i just i what sort of spoke to me was maybe was maybe the letter writer needs to make a bit more of an effort to understand the feelings and experience of their girlfriend. And it seemed a bit, um, you know, it's a letter writer, so obviously they're going to write about their problems, but I did feel a slight lack of understanding on them understanding their girlfriend.
2: I think that the letter writer is... Uh, not necessarily in this um, discussion talking about the things that led to their girlfriend having problems that required antidepressants in the first place. So I don't know whether or not engaging more with the root cause of whatever things that they're going through might be a way to for them to be more on the same page and have an emotional connection, which might then be a... Better point for um, intimacy, you know. I, I don't think that just because antidepressants reduce libido, it means that oh, like there's bed death forever. Like it, you know, it's still possible to for, to have a you know loving, sexual, seductive relationship and be on antidepressants at the same time. These things are not mutually exclusive.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that is that is really helpful because that kind of helped me realize like what do I think you do need to let go of, letter writer, and it's not ideas of you know meeting more in the middle or or having more conversations it's the idea of our needs for intimacy felt effortless in the first six months that's nice i'm glad and i don't and again i really don't want to like make it sound like i think intimacy should always be like exhausting and homework and require like 18 state of the union addresses every month but uh, you know if there was a part of you or a big part of you that thought like if you're in a good relationship your needs for intimacy, sex, touch, et cetera, should be effortless. You should just always be on the same page. You should always want the same things. Um, on those rare occasions where you don't want the same things, it should feel minute and trivial and, uh, like a drop in the bucket and then back to the great wave of sameness. Um, and I just really want to encourage you to let go of that idea. Letter writer, I think, you know, if you ever come into bouts of effortlessness, that can be lovely, but I just don't think it's a reasonable or even a good goal to have. So those six months is like the Eden you're trying to return to. Having different desires will feel like the enemy and it will feel like the goal should be to want the same things. That's how you know you're not being creepy. That's how you know you're not being rejected. That's how you know you're in love. You want the same things. And that is, I think, on a practical daily level, really going to be your enemy when it comes to knowing and being known and being loved and loving someone else. So not that I want you to think like, okay, from now we have to talk about sex in like a sad and serious way for 20 minutes every single day or else we don't know each other. But, you know, Jane, I thought you brought up a really good point when you say like, maybe there's just more that we don't see here, but the letter writer doesn't go into very much detail about like the circumstances of their girlfriend going on antidepressants. So again, letter writer, I'm not at all saying like, you jerk, I bet you don't even care why she's depressed. But I think that if some of your fears feel like, oh, they're so big and bad, I don't even want to think about them, I think those are the ones you should lead with, frankly. like I think you should have a conversation with your girlfriend where you say, I know we've talked about like the general changes in our lupidos lately on a few different occasions, and I think that's been helpful. I also would love to just tell you some of the things that I'm afraid of, not because I think we'll fix them today, but just because I want you to know about them. And maybe also if you have any fears on your mind that you feel up for sharing with me, I'd love to hear them. You know, um, one of my fears is that if I bring it up or ask you for something that I'm putting pressure on you. So maybe one thing that I would like you to consider is, are there things that you can think of that either you would like from me in the near future that would help you feel not pressured are there ways that you would feel comfortable letting me know when you did feel pressure uh, what's the difference between just like us wanting two different things versus me pressuring you how do you grade that um what are your thoughts like ask your girlfriend to tell her tell you what she thinks she might not know the answer right away but giving it real thought like that's a being a creep isn't just some like nebulous idea you have to worry about like you could actually Talk with your partner and figure out, well, how would we find out if I was being creepy? And how would we stop it? And that can go a long way towards easing your fears. Because it's like, it's not just like this veil of monstrosity that might descend on me from the heavens. Um, it's like, we could actually like check in to make sure I'm not being a dick. Um, that's fixable.
3: Um, one, The one note that I did make about this, um, this question was um, couples counseling. And I think... I think it'd be useful for discussing all those points that that you brought up. But I think, you know, couples counselling, sort of the meaning behind that, just having open conversations with each other about as you say, how how are we feeling about this? You know, when I, when I do certain things, how does that make you feel? How can we, having more you know, as you say not having like State of the Union conversations 20 times a month, but having a more just freer, open conversation and not putting this on a pedestal and not having it something taboo and something, you know, you can just feel comfortable with. And if that means going to a couples counsellor because you feel you need mediation, but maybe that also puts that a bit on a pedestal and it becomes a problem and an issue that has to be resolved and it sort of pathologizes it a bit, but rather, you know... St- open and frank conversation. And I think that can also be something that doesn't necessarily happen in the honeymoon period because you f- it is a honeymoon period and you feel like, like you instinctually understand each other. But after a period of time, you do need to put in a bit more work, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that to
1: that end, um, there's another question that you can ask your girlfriend, which is, Um, how do you feel about the shift in your libido that you've experienced on antidepressants? Does it feel like a kind of benign side effect? Um, have you, what are, what are your other feelings about being on antidepressants now that it's been a little while? Like, do you feel mostly improved? Do you feel foggier? Do you feel blanker? Do you feel happier, um, does the libido thing feel like, oh, I think on some level there's a part of me that would be distressed about it, but I feel blocked off from that? Or does it feel, actually, it's kind of a relief. Um, there's so many potential answers that she might have. And I think just having more information about like on a regular daily level, how does she experience this change in her libido? Is it welcome? Is it unwelcome? Is it complicated? Is it fraught? Um, Is it something that she hopes eventually changes again? It's good information for you to have just so you know more about how she feels. And maybe in that conversation, you can also talk a little bit about, you know, I've mostly experienced the shift in libido as like kind of fun and joyful, but it also makes me worry and it brings up a lot of new roles that I haven't historically played in relationships and I'm kind of scared of dealing with them. Um, and there's sometimes that it feels like uh, a bigger force than I know how to deal with. So to me, one of the things that that suggests is that you need maybe either more friends in your life uh, who have either started or take or are just uh, you know naturally on testosterone that you speak to about this, whether they be like, Trans people, cis people, a mixture of both, gay, straight, bisexual, etc., cetera, et cetera, um, to talk to those people. Um, and it, hopefully, you you know, again, like, I don't mean like if you met a trans guy like two years ago, you call him up and say, like, tell me everything about your sex drive right now. But like, if there's anybody in your life that you can sort of say, hey, I would love to talk to you about some of the changes I've experienced on testosterone, some of which might be a little blue. Are you up for such a conversation You know, they'll let you know if they're up for it or not. And you can say, like, how did you experience that? Did it feel overwhelming? Did it feel scary? Did it feel daunting? Did it change your sense of, like, I've been trying to say all this without ever bringing up that horrible phrase, female socialization, which I hate and would like to bury inside of a box. But I wonder, letter writer, if. You have like never thought of yourself as a pursuing person um, and you've never thought about what it might feel like to be turned down for sex. If this is your first time coming up against it, maybe it's like challenging certain ideas you had about your like worth or value to your partners. And you don't have to use the phrase female socialization to explain that. But again, like this is something you can talk to, especially maybe friends who have started hormonal transition is like, did that change for you? Was it similar before? How did you deal with it? Because as you say, you're not interested in opening up this relationship, which is absolutely fine. Um, but I don't want you to think of your new libido as like, either this is satisfied with immediate sex or I just get over my feelings. Like It's also one of the ways that you relate to the world around you and your own body. And to talk about it with other people with meaningful and relevant experiences will go a long way towards minimizing or reducing these feelings of like shame and freakishness that are popping up for you. Um, so to me, the, the answer here is like bring more of your community into your sex life, not by propositioning all of your friends. Although, I'll just throw this out there, letter writer. If you have any other friends who are newly on tea and you throw out there, I want to have sex all the time and my partner doesn't. And someday I might have a conversation with her about hooking up with buddies. Um, I, again, you don't have to. Not everybody does this. It's also very common. Um, and if you end up just like hooking up with or like getting off together with a bunch of your other newly on tea guy friends, it is a thing and you will have fun. <laughs> but you don't have to. You really don't have to. I want to respect that you say you're not interested in opening up the relationship. I don't want to like push it on you.
2: Well, it sounds like a word of mouth recommendation from you, Danny.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, it's just more like, It's both absolutely everyone's choice to decide whether or not they want to open up a relationship. And it's also true that sometimes people say, I never want to open up my relationship. And then six months later, they say, I have six new jerk off partners and we (laughs) meet every Thursday, Saturday and Sunday, and then we go out for bagels and it's wonderful. And sometimes life can really surprise you. So just just throwing that out there. You don't have to do anything. I'm a stranger who's talking on a podcast. You can ignore me (coughs) forever and never have sex with any of your friends. But um, just anything that can move you away from like shame and exceptionalism when you're like, I want to have sex and my partner doesn't, because that is such a big and important and necessary part of life that if you treat that as like a horrible accident, you will make yourself and your own partner's lives so much harder than they need to be. Because unfortunately... Sex involves a lot of rejection. I think there's so many different ways people can think like, if I just game the system the right way, I'll never have to come up against it. And then when that inevitably fails, they just feel like this is the worst thing in the world. I hate this. I feel like I just bared my body and soul in front of someone and said, do you think this is worthwhile? And they just laughed and said, no, I think it's garbage. And uh, that's a hard way to feel. And um, I, I recommend doing anything you can to not go down that path. Um, so yeah, I just, I think to like put a button on that is just, again, like reach out and talk to a lot of different people, cultivate an open mind about the possibility of different types of sexual encounters you might be interested in at least contemplating having in the future. And then, you know, that line about my girlfriend is trying her best with other forms of non-sexual touch. I, I, I don't love the phrase trying her best. Again, maybe you're just like, Maybe that was just the phrase you chose, but like to me, that suggests that maybe you're both feeling kind of guilty, or she feels like she needs to offer you some sort of like, well, we're out of you know frozen carrots, but like I can give you the sack of flour on discount, like to try to like make a trade, and so I would just, you know,
2: like a consolation foot rub, you know.
1: Yeah. And maybe where you're also feeling like this isn't the kind of touch that I want. And so this mm-hmm. actually just reminds me of how far away it is from the kind of touch I want. So give yourselves both permission to like say in the moment, this kind of touch is actually not what I want. Even if it's not sexual and you're just like, I actually would love to be sitting close and talking, but not touching right now. Sometimes that's really necessary to say, I'm actually realizing right now I don't want to be touched. And to say that in a like relatively calm and non painful way. And so that you can then just talk about, like, does that actually feel good? Or would that feel good right now? Or are you offering it because you think it's the next best thing on offer? And am I saying yes because I feel guilty about asking for sex when you didn't want to? Like, are we getting into, like, a back and forth of just, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, no one likes that. Or maybe if that's your very specific kink where you're both ridden with guilt. (laughs) Um, But, like, most people want the kind of touch that they can offer a partner to feel Open and mutual and joyful. And so, just, you know, if you feel like she's trying her best and that makes you feel like drained of all life, you can just stop and say, I love you so much. I love normally when we cuddle. This particular cuddle is feeling like it's just not working for me. Do you mind if we sit up and talk? Does that feel reasonable? If somebody said that to you, would you feel like, wow, we're really like having an emotional conversation? Or would you feel like, who is this alien freak who just said the weirdest thing to me about a fucking
2: hug? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look, so, look. Sometimes a hug can make you cringe. Sometimes, sometimes the the way that you are, you know, in the moment and present isn't about how much of your body is in contact with another person. I think I don't think that's unreasonable at all.
3: And I think that's what I was going back to about having, you know, more communication. Having a an intimate conversation can feel, or having a close conversation can feel just as intimate as being touched. And if the person doesn't want. Constellation foot rub, actually having a nice sitting close to each other and having a conversation about deep and meaningful feelings would feel much better. So, I, so actually, I think if someone were to offer that to me, I'd be, I would take that gladly. Actually,
2: you'd quite like a conversation and a foot rub, darling. Well, I would take the foot yeah, rub too. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: I love that. Do either of you then have any kind of last thoughts, either about something that you have found helpful in your own life when it comes to dealing with a feeling of rejection, whether that be romantic, uh, social, between friends at work, um, or just general advice for people uh, who might need to navigate a feeling of rejection more generally than just this one particular instance? Hmm.
3: I guess to know that it's not sort of an attack on you as as a person and that it's not, it's not someone isn't necessarily rejecting you entirely. And they they may just be rejecting in that moment, in that specific context, that very particular, that particular thing. That's quite hard to to understand because it does feel like your whole being is rejected, but, and also knowing that it's, you know, it's one person who's doing the rejecting and, you know, it sounds really corny, but not to use the phrase, there are more fish to see, sea, but there are so many more people who who wouldn't reject you and do appreciate you. And yeah, the person that you want right now is rejecting you, but...
2: My experience, certainly with rejection from, it's how way to put it, kind of my peers and my friends when there have been moments of disagreement and rejection, it it helps, I I found it helpful to kind of try and understand that there's a, the, where the, this person is coming from and who is doing something or is kind of running against my desires or what something I would think would be kind of a mutually enjoyable thing in terms of trying to think about meetups that haven't worked properly or um, projects that we'd wanted to work on that didn't actually go the way they should have. Um, understand that there's just a whole kind of uh, kaleidoscope of events that get you to that moment of tension and rejection and that you need to kind of look at these things in the round sometimes Um, and that it isn't always about you even though you may be on the receiving end of the negativity that has led to this moment it's a tough thing to hold in the head and really believe
1: it really really is yeah thank you both so much for that I think that's a lovely kind of like last Uh, thought to linger on. And I'll just add to that, that I think for some people at some points in their lives, uh, their fear of rejection or even the possibility of rejection, especially from a partner, um, which usually in practice actually just means not wanting the same thing at the exact same time, um, can become so big that it drives people away. Um, and it can feel like my mission in life is to avoid rejection because rejection is so bad and so obliterating to my sense of self, uh, that it actually will kill me. Like I'll treat it as an actual physical threat to my personhood. Um, and therefore it is to be avoided at all costs. So if that means sacrificing honesty, whether that even be just with myself, um, or with my partner, um, self awareness, cultivating a new relationship to asking for things and patience, um, No, none of that is as good as uh, beating up on myself in private, being mean to myself in private, um, avoiding intimacy with my partner that I might actually desperately want. All of this is done in service of avoiding rejection. And if, if avoiding rejection becomes your highest good, you will, I think, put yourself in the path of so much unnecessary pain and potentially also drive people away. So none of that is to say, go like join Toastmasters tomorrow, start using like polite pickup lines on strangers every day and just get so inured to <laughs> rejection that you become like a door-to-door salesperson. Um, but that like, you know, the fantasy of I will be able to live my life in such a way that I never feel rejected by a partner or that things will always feel effortless is in fact like a lie that it is designed to get you out of relationships because no relationship lives up to those standards. Um and so if you Go into any kind of intimacy with other people with that expectation, um, you will drive them away um, in one form or another. And uh, I, I say all of this because I'm very, very familiar with it. So I say it with like deep, you know, esteem and, and, and sympathy um, and not like, wow, you fucking jerks. Um, but all that <laughs> is to it's got to go. That fear's got to go.